Hello, everyone, and either welcome or welcome back to the Gender Libertarian Podcast. If you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page, where you do get early access to episodes and exclusive content. I will put the link down in the show notes. Okay, so Democratic Debate Round 6. Yes, Round 6 is officially in the books. Um, It was on Thursday, the 19th of December, and this go-round actually only featured seven people. So narrowing this Democratic field down, or at least the Democratic debate field down, a little bit. Finally. Finally. Um, We had Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Pete Buttigieg, Amy Klobuchar, Tom Steyer, Andrew Yang. And that's it. There are some names that are obviously missing there, most notably one Tulsi Gabbard, which she did not make enough qualifying polls to have been included in this round, which that was a bit of a controversy anyway. But anyway, we've got it narrowed down to seven here, and it was a, well, it was supposed to be three hours long, which in some sort of Christmas fucking miracle, they managed to wrap it up ahead of schedule. It was originally supposed to be from 8 to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard, and it finished up, I want to say it was either like 10.45 or 10.50. So given the fact that a lot of these have actually run overtime, having one come in under time was just so nice. So nice. And Maybe, maybe I'm getting soft or maybe I'm developing Stockholm Syndrome, but this one actually wasn't that bad. There was actually some substantial conversations had and definitely people differentiating themselves from other people and some actual substantive policy stances that were articulated. So... Yeah, this one was actually, I gotta say, probably out of all of them I've watched, this one has probably been the best one. So where they started, the first question was obviously about impeachment. And after the first question, the topic didn't really come up all that much, which I expected, especially since this was supposed to be a three-hour debate, that there would be a lot more talk about impeachment. But Thankfully, it was kind of limited because at this point, I don't know what else there is is to say about it. Anyway, the question was, is to each individual candidate, how would you as a candidate kind of make the case for impeachment to the general public, which I thought was a really interesting question because I feel like Democrats haven't exactly done the best of jobs of explaining why this is happening and explaining kind of the ins and outs of this. And it's the impeachment thing is very complicated, but basically everybody got a chance to try to make their case. And a thing that everybody pretty much did, except for notably Amy Klobuchar, who actually, honest to God, answered the question straight. Like she actually gave a legitimately good answer as to how she would sell the impeachment process to the American public. But of course, everybody else kind of took the, took it 
and kind of made it about whatever their particular hobby horse is, which is a theme that happened all night long, especially with certain people. Like Bernie Sanders somehow managed to make this question be about healthcare. How does he do that? How does he make everything be about healthcare? Like just answer the damn question, dude. But Amy's the only one that answered it in a remotely satisfactory way. But a funny thing that happened during this question is one of the moderators was saying Andrew Yang's name, but apparently was supposed to be addressing Tom Steyer. And she was looking at Tom and and Steyer and Yang were on opposite ends of the stage. So she's looking at Steyer, addressing Steyer, but saying Yang's name. And he's over here like, hey, I'm over here. Hey. And then it was just like, oh, wait, I'm not. I didn't mean to be talking to you. It was just a really weird moment. And I was just like, oh, my God, what what is going on with this poor dude? Why is this going to happen to him again? And ultimately, it 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 everything kind of turned out OK for Yang. But we'll we'll get there at the end of the episode where I give kind of my winners and losers and summary of what I think about this debate. So moving on from there. We went to a couple of questions about USMCA, which is supposed to be the new deal that's going to replace NAFTA, although it's not really a NAFTA replacement because it's basically just NAFTA with a couple of tweaks. It's the, the whole the whole debate around this thing is stupid, especially since Trump has been pushing it. And while he said he hated NAFTA, this isn't really different than NAFTA. Anyway, so question gets posed to Bernie. And of course, Bernie's like, Thanks, I hate it, because Bernie is an economic nationalist, because he's a socialist. And I bring this one up because if if it does end up actually being Trump versus Bernie, on a lot of issues, the economy being one of them, I'm not sure if there's really any daylight between the two men. And I think I've discussed this before, but I mean, it's they're pretty much in agreement, to be honest. So that would be a really interesting debate to watch because there's no really substantive policy difference between the two. I mean, if it was President Bernie, I don't think he'd really change anything economically from what Trump's did. I mean, he would probably add on some stuff, but I don't think he would roll back anything. So, of course, Bernie hates it. Everyone else just kind of... Anyway, so we move on from that to the economy, which this actually got a pretty fair chunk of time in this debate. And of course, everybody had their own version of my middle class and my middle class concerns. And we're very concerned about the middle class union labor workers losing their jobs. It's so sad. We have to do something about this. And of course, Elizabeth Warren took this time to once again tout her wealth tax, which is still a stupid idea, but she's still hanging on to it tooth and nail, still trying to sell it with her one pennies and two pennies. And yeah, like this is just, it it goes to show kind of where a lot of the left is at as far as economic concerns are concerned. I mean, obviously, she supports her wealth tax. I don't think Bernie would not support it. Um, Biden, I don't think, has really offered an opinion on it. But clearly, the, these popular candidates are pushing some 
rather ridiculous schemes that, first of all, the wealth tax everywhere it's been tried has failed and the countries that have tried it have stopped because of the obvious problems that come with trying to tax wealthy people because they're wealthy and wealthy people can move their money around and do things that the rest of us can't do. So it all ends up being like a huge ginormous failure. But she's still sticking with it. So after that, we go on to climate change. And now this this is when stuff starts getting interesting because one of the moderators proposed to the crowd, um, would you support the government relocating people in potential danger zones? Which, if you are really, really honest to God concerned about climate change, you would think everybody's answer would be an unequivocal yes, because, of course, I mean, they, they think that would be the proper role of government. Obviously, we would beg to differ. But you would think that if you were really concerned, you would be like, okay, we have to get these people out of the flood zones or the fire zones or whatever climate change disaster zones that the government deems to be climate change disaster zones. Anyway, most people didn't really offer an answer except for Yang. Andrew Yang actually said that he would support relocating people in the climate change danger zones. And okay. Um, I mean, I don't know how you would even begin to do that, but yeah, there it is. And the the other part of this that came out of this, and this is kind of one of the, the things that have stuck around as a talking point, is Joe Biden was specifically asked, and mind you, this was after everybody going on and on and on about the middle class worker jobs that are going away and it's so awful and it's so horrible and we have to do something. We have to do something right now. He was asked that Basically, the setup of the question is that over the past 10 years, the U.S. economy has been steadily having growth and doing pretty well. Some of that due to in like coal sector and stuff like that. So the question was posed to Biden that if it were a situation where obviously to impose like a Green New Deal or something like that, would you be willing to sacrifice those people's jobs? And he said, yes. So, so after all of that, after all that bitching about the, the, the working, the, the working middle class in rural America, and we, we have to save them, you would sacrifice them on the altar of the Green New Deal in order to get what you want out of that. That was surprising. That was a bit stunning. I I was like, wow, I I expected him to waffle a little more on that. But he just was just like, yep, I I would do it. So (laughs) a little bit of a contradiction that that sets up there, because how exactly are Democrats supposed to sell themselves as people who care about these working class people in coal mines and whatever mines and factories and stuff, but also turn around and propose that if this Green New Deal or whatever New Deal comes up with as far as climate change, that if that meant losing tens of thousands of jobs, you'd be cool with it. 
You know, it's kind of, kind of a little bit of cognitive dissonance there, and I'm not quite sure how you're going to pitch that. So the, the, the other thing that come out of the climate change discussion was Elizabeth Warren was specifically asked about nuclear power. And her answer was that she wouldn't decommission any of the current nuclear plants, but that they wouldn't be allowed to have any more nuclear plants built, which if you are serious about addressing climate change, if you really think this is a problem that really needs to be solved and you're taking nuclear off the table, you can miss me with your bullshit because you clearly are not looking at the one thing that we could do. We could start moving to nuclear power. It's it's not 1985 anymore, people. We have safe nuclear reactors. We have ways of getting rid of nuclear waste. It's not like it was before. So if you're not willing to even uh, like think about pursuing nuclear power as an option, and then you turn around and cite wind and solar as like actual viable alternatives to nuclear, it's like you're an idiot. You're an idiot and you've either not thought this through or you genuinely don't give a shit about climate change and you just want to use this as a Trojan horse for some kind of economic realignment, which to be fair, yes, there are people that have been explicit about that, including people in AOC's camp to say, yes, the Green New Deal is not really about climate change. It's about economic realignment. It's about moving more control of the economy to the state. It is a redistribution scheme. And so that's something to think about every time you see somebody who cries about climate change, but takes nuclear off the table. You're not serious about climate change. You're not serious about doing something that could possibly prevent it. It's it's a power grab. So that's just a little little litmus test for you guys, just so you can tell when somebody's actually serious about addressing this problem versus somebody who is just pushing this because either it sounds good when they make the noises out of their mouth about it, or there's an ulterior motive. Next up, we had a question for Andrew Yang related to the fact that he was the only person of color on the stage last night, which I guess we are now officially acknowledging that Elizabeth Warren is not a person of color which I, I'm a-okay with that. She's whiter than I am, for Christ's sake. Anyway, so he was asked about how, basically, how he felt about that. And the beginning of his answer was good. He went into stats about how much Latinos have, as far as financially, contribute to campaigns, how much Black people contribute, how much other various ethnic minorities contribute, and using that as an example of trying to explain why there weren't more people of color on the stage is because there's not as many people of color in politics in general, either on the sort of campaign donation activist side or on the actual running for office side. But then he takes that this very good, insightful answer and somehow shoves it into the freedom dividend. And he ends the argument by saying that if we did have the freedom dividend, if everybody had an extra $1,000 a month, then these people would more readily donate to campaigns and perhaps get involved in politics, which I'm not an expert on anything, but um, 
taking federal money and then filtering it back into political campaigns, I don't know if that's really a good argument to make. But, of course, because, again, everybody has to make everything about their particular little pet thing. Of course, of course he shoehorns the freedom dividend into this question that he could have just answered straight and actually made some very valid cogent points. But, no, we got just shove it right back into my talking points. And I know I complain about this every time, but it's just like, can people just answer the question straight? Like, is that so hard? Just answer the question. Speaking of just answering the question, Bernie got asked a question last night that when I heard the question, I think I probably audibly gasped because he was point blank asked his opinion about the Israel-Palestine situation. Now, if you don't follow leftist politics quite as much, um, yeah, there's a lot of people in the Bernie camp and in the sort of lefty progressive camp in general who are very pro-Palestine. And this also ties into the whole BDS movement and everything like that. So I was like, how the fuck is he going to answer this question and stay on the right side of his supporters? And I don't think he really did. He tried his best to not alienate anybody, but he did specifically say that Israel has the right to exist, which is not a controversial topic to most people, but to progressives. That is a very controversial topic, and that is a very controversial thing to say because there are a whole lot of them who don't think Israel has the right to exist. They don't buy into the two-state solution. They want a one-state solution, and that one state being Palestine. So I was just like, whoo, damn, I, whoo, I don't know whose idea it was to ask him that question, but I was just like, wow. <laughs> Somebody, somebody who is extremely online thought to ask him that question. So I've not seen a lot of reaction to that on Twitter yet, but I can't imagine that anybody in the Bernie camp is super duper thrilled with the idea of him standing on a national stage and saying that Israel has the right to exist. Um, He stopped short of endorsing a two-state option, which Biden actually, when he was asked the question about Israel-Palestine, did endorse a two-state solution, which I, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I'm sure Biden has said that before. It's a fairly common sort of idea amongst most people is the two-state solution. I have my thoughts on it, whatever, kind of not really relevant to this, but that's, that that was just that whole question was just I, I was kind of shocked that it made it into the debate because like I said, it is a very controversial topic in progressive circles, the Israel-Palestine conflict. So I mean, this progressives don't like Biden anyway, so it's not like that answer really hurts or helps him with them. I mean, they hate his guts anyway. But I was just like, wow. Well, alrighty then. 
So from there, we move on to the topic of China. And everybody was asked their opinion, and most people kind of like mushed through it. Two people who really stood out. Pete Buttigieg, in his answer, pointed out not only the Hong Kong situation, but also specifically brought up the Uyghurs and talking about how these two situations are just, you can't just let that slide. Like there has to be some kind of response. What that response would be is kind of up in the air, but he did specifically mention the Uyghurs, which I thought was was really, really important because... Obviously, if you spend time in political circles, you know who the Uyghurs are. If you don't, Uyghurs are Chinese Muslim people, and the government of China is rounding them up and putting them in, for lack of a better term, concentration camps. And there have been rumors that these people are being, I mean, they're being tortured, they're being killed, their body parts are supposedly being sold. Um, they're being forced to, I mean, and this is a big deal because they're Muslims, that they're being forced to eat pork, that they're being forced to drink, that the women are being raped. Like, it's just, it's a horrible situation. So I'm, I'm glad Pete brought it up. Biden's response is apparently to go send, I, I guess it would be the Navy to have ships kind of around China to threaten them in that way, which that is an absolutely stupid fucking response. Do not send the military. For the love of God, do not send the military over to China. Jesus Christ, are you trying to start World War Three, dude? But I was just like, what? what is this answer? I mean, maybe it's an old person thing. Like old people just like sending the military places. I don't know. I was just like... What in the world is going on here? So that was addressed. Um, from here on out, this is when things start getting a little bit testy. Now we're coming to the back half of the debate. And the topic came up of campaign finance and specifically Citizens United. And Amy Klobuchar called for a constitutional amendment to overturn Citizens United. Now, just a brief little kind of summary, if you don't know what Citizens United is, that's kind of the shorthand we use for the Supreme Court decision in the case of Citizens United versus the Federal Election Commission. And it marries together two legal concepts that were widely accepted before the Citizens United decision, but the Citizens United decision links the two of them. And that is the first one, that is corporations are legal entities the same way individuals are legal entities. So the same kind of protections that are given to individuals in the Constitution also apply to corporations. And the second part is that campaign donations are considered a form of speech that is protected by the First Amendment. So to put those two ideas together, corporations, because they are legal entities and do have First Amendment rights, it cannot be made illegal for corporations to give money to political campaigns because it is protected by 1A. It's considered speech. And of course, Congress shall make no law. So that decision is what is the bedrock of 
of allowing corporations to donate money to political candidates, to political causes, to whatever they want to. This has long, long been a, a, a huge talking point amongst certain people on the left because this all ties into the whole oh, dark money and PAC money and corporations are trying to buy elections and blah, 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 blah. The, the ruling is very clear. I mean, it's you can't refute the fact that corporations, if they are considered legal entities, are covered by 1A. And political campaign donations are considered speech. So the idea of creating a constitutional amendment that would run counter to the First Amendment is the dumbest fucking idea I think I've heard anybody put forth yet. And I'm including healthcare ideas in that statement. And and she doubled down on it because she said it again on Twitter. And it's like, do you not understand what the Citizens United decision is and why it was decided the way it was decided and how you can't make a constitutional amendment that I would presume would limit companies' ability or corporations' ability to participate in political speech? Like, do do you... But no, no, you idiot. So there's that. And from there, we moved on to the topic of reparations, because for some reason, these come up. Um, I mean, I think the past couple of debates, the topic of reparations has come up. And Mayor Pete is a yes. He said that he supports reparations. And also that he would support reparations for families separated under the family separation program from earlier this year, where at the border, children were separated from their parents. And it has caused this massive, massive problem. There's still kids that haven't been put back with their parents. Um, The emotional scars have just been atrocious. Like these kids are just, they're they're kind of messed up mentally, honestly, because now they've got these abandonment issues and there's just developmental issues. It's it's nuts. It's really, really heartbreaking. But he said that he would support reparations for those people too, which is interesting because right now the ACLU, I do believe, has filed a class action lawsuit against the U.S. government related to family separation that may result in monetary compensation for these people. So... Not something that's a super far-fetched idea, but lumping it in under reparations, maybe. But, of course, everyone else kind of hemmed and hawed their way through the reparations question, as one does. Now, now to get to the fun part of the debate. And we'll go ahead and start with the Pete Buttigieg-Amy Klobuchar exchange. Amy Klobuchar tried to attack Buttigieg on his lack of experience as he's, I mean, he's the mayor of Grand Rapids. Like, it's not the most prestigious thing in the world, I don't imagine. I mean, it's not like being a senator or a congressperson. Here's the thing. Just taking her her sort of commentary by itself before we get to Buttigieg's response... I remember when everybody kind of made this argument about Obama, that his resume was rather thin, and it was. I mean, he was a community organizer, and then he was in the Senate for like 15 minutes before he decided to run for president, and 
everybody kind of laughed it off on the left. Like, well, who cares? So what? So he doesn't have years of experience. Who cares? Like That was considered like something of like a badge of honor. And to see Pete be attacked on that same line is rather amusing. But Buddha Judge, nah, he wasn't having nobody shit last night. That man was not trying to hear it. And he just obliterated her, just completely smoked her on it. And it's just like, who is this guy? Where's this Mayor Pete been? And then we move on from there to Elizabeth Warren trying to attack him. After after that, after watching him just take apart Klobuchar for her dumbass shit, Liz tries it. Liz tries to go there on... And, and if you were wondering today why everybody is talking about wine cellars, <laughs> this is why. This is where the wine cellar thing comes from. So... She attacked him, I guess, a week or so ago. He was out in Napa Valley and had this fundraiser dinner with a bunch of rich people because that's what you do when you're running for office. That was in this rather nice looking wine cellar. Like there's like a chandelier and it was just beautifully lit. And the whole the whole thing just looked baller as fuck, honestly. Like I want to go have a party in this wine cellar. This looked great. But... She tried to attack him on that and on the fact that he has not renounced big ticket donors like she supposedly has. I mean, that's a fairly recent revelation from her, but he turned it around and attacked her in a way that I was just dying. He said that, well, yes, I I take money from millionaires. And just like if you wanted to contribute to my campaign, you're a millionaire. Does that somehow mean that your money's dirty? And I was just like, holy shit. He just managed to work that in there. And then on top of that, he managed to work on into there that he was the only person on the stage who wasn't a millionaire or a billionaire. I was just like, damn, she just fucking walked into that so bad. But he just, he snapped on her and I'm just like, wow. All right, Mayor Pete, look at you go. Like, I was like, okay, this, he, he would have a chance on a stage with Trump. I do think, I think he could do it. Not that I think he's going to get the chance, but yeah, he, he showed some stones there last night. I was like, all right, he, he showed up, he showed up and he showed out. But the other notable thing that, Pete Buttigieg did say last night, and this was on the topic of Afghanistan and war in general, that if he were president, he would propose a three-year sundown on all military engagements, which that's kind of huge. That that would be great, actually, <laughs> having an actual three-year sundown. And so that way you can avoid things like Afghanistan, which should have been sundowned over a decade ago, but I've, I've already said my piece on that. I, but I was, I was, I was impressed by that. I was like, okay, that's a substantive policy statement right there. Like we got a couple of those last night. I was, I was happy. It's like, it wasn't just yelling at people like, my God, can we actually hear some kind of 
some kind of policy here, some kind of like stances, like what, what is, where are you? What do you stand for? What's, what's going on? And also, obviously, without Tulsi being there, I mean, you kind of lost a lot of that anti-war voice. So it was nice to see Mayor Pete kind of picking up the slack on that one and proposing actual reform in how we deploy military because it, it needs to be done. Like it desperately needs to be done. So anyway, that pretty much wraps up last night. Um, the, the ending question, it's always like these corny ass questions and they asked everybody who they would ask for forgiveness or who they would give forgiveness to. It's like, oh wait, whatever. It's stupid corny questions. Basically, it's just a way to let candidates wrap up and I guess plug their websites, do all that stuff. And it was just like, oh my God. Anyway, so like I said, thankfully this actually came in under time, which was great. I was so happy because I was so worried it was going to go over time. I was just like, no, I'm like, we finally got one to start at eight. Finally. Like, why does it have to end at 11? Like eight to 10, just eight to 10. That's all we need. But at least it's getting better. It's getting better. So anyway, Moving on to my winners and losers from this last debate. Um, go ahead and start with the losers this time because I don't really have really anybody outside of Bernie Sanders. And this is just, I mean, I admit this is just a me thing, but I'm just, I'm consistently underwhelmed by him in debates. Like I, I watch these and I'm just like, why, why, why is everybody hype on this dude? Like, why do these people like him? And it's just like, I'm, I'm would really like for Bernie Sanders to answer a question in a way that does not invoke health care. Like, that's all I want. Just answer a question, please. Don't bring it around to Medicare for all or how you wrote the damn bill or stop. Just stop, dude. But everyone else kind of, I mean, I, there was nobody that really did poorly. Like everyone else did, everyone did fine. Some people obviously did better than others, but nobody really sucked. And I think that's part of kind of having this much more condensed format where you have less than 10 people on the stage. That way everybody gets a little more time to talk. So they have a little more time to explain themselves, whether you agree with what's coming out of their mouth or not. At least it's a little more wider of a forum for people to speak instead of having, like I said, either 10 people on stage or breaking this up into two nights where you have people who don't have a chance to interact with each other. So yeah, like I said, it wasn't that bad. It genuinely wasn't that bad last night. And I've definitely watched worse. I'll say that. I've definitely watched worse. Um, winners. Obviously, Pete Buttigieg. I mean, I... I he came off amazingly well last night. He was not having anybody's bullshit. He made his points. He looked all earnest and, and sincere. <laughs> like he just, I, I think in a different world, in a different time, he would be an amazing candidate that Democrats would rally around, but we don't live there anymore. Apparently it's, I, apparently we'd rather have somebody like Bernie or Liz, who I really don't think stands much of a chance against Trump versus somebody more centrist like Buttigieg that I think could 
actually appeal to a broader group of people than anybody else who's running, save Biden. And the only reason I put Biden ahead of that is because he's got name recognition. Everybody kind of knows who he is. He's been here since the Stone Age. So, and also Biden is still kind of centristy in relationship to where the rest of the left has gone. He's centristy. Not saying that that's really the center. The Overton window has shifted so far left that it's just like, I, I can't, I can't with these people. Um, second person was Andrew Yang. I mean, Yang had a good night last night too. He really, he got some good points in. He, he made some good jokes. He had some funnies and he actually got camera time. He did end up getting camera time. Even after that, that first initial snafu of saying one name and, and trying to talk to somebody else, he did actually get some substantial camera time and he did make some good points. So kudos to him. It came off well. He came off very human, very likable. I'm still not a fan, but he he at least got some camera time and he, and he used it. So hooray to him. My last winner is Tim Alberta who did actually end up being one of the moderators, which there was a bit of controversy when it was first announced because Tim is more of a center-right kind of guy. Um, He writes for Politico, and if you are so interested, he wrote a book called American Carnage that that traces the last 10 years of the GOP and basically how we got to Trump. And it's, it's a bit of a doorstop. It's a long book, but it's a really good book. And if you're genuinely interested in figuring out how we got here, that book is the book to read. So I was happy that he did end up getting to be a moderator and he did ask some very good questions. So I feel like his presence there was definitely a good one, definitely something that was a bit of a counterbalance. And hopefully going forward in these Democratic debates, they do have more center-right, right-leaning, whatever you want to call it, moderators, because we're getting to the point where these candidates are going to have to start answering questions that would be asked of them by their opposition. And so now would be a good time for them to get used to dealing with these sorts of questions and coming up with answers to them instead of just being asked questions by people who, generally speaking, already agree with them. Like that's that's not really a good way to prep for the general. So hopefully here's to more diverse moderators going forth in 2020. So at this point, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up because this has gone on long enough. So if you did make it this far, thank you for listening. And if you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page. Take care and until next time.